Howdy folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and we're going to build an entire campaign for you to run for your group. And if you use all the stuff we've built over the past 13 episodes, you're ready to start as early as tonight. Before we get into building our scenario this week, I wanted to address a question that started coming in as soon as last week's episode hit, and that's about what happened to the campaign debriefing I'd promised the episode before. Well, much as I had been ill and missed a week of podcast, I also missed a game night for the same reasons. So no game night, no debriefing for this show. However, we're all geared up and ready to go for tomorrow night, and with two weeks worth of campaign having been built, next week's show should have one heck of a recap on it. But we shall see. So with that question answered, let's get into building our scenario, shall we? First, we need to recap what we covered last week, and we covered a lot of stuff, so this is going to take a couple minutes. At the start of last week's build, our characters were trying to decide whether or not to take the meeting they'd been offered previously. After realizing they knew nothing about Madame Teresa, who had sent the invitation, they tried to get information on her as well as on the meeting location. They weren't able to dig up anything on her, but they found out the meeting spot was an upscale cafe in the high-rent district of Denver. Attending the meeting, they came face-to-face with Madame Teresa. She thanked them for saving the young couple during the opening scenarios of the campaign, then discussed her campaign to try to bring down Francis Coulson and the Coulson Corporation. She provided them with a lot of information, but the TLDR on it is that she reported that, so far as she was aware, Francis Coulson wasn't much more than a thug, and she was exceptionally curious as to how he was able to not only put together a group like the corporation, but how he was able to succeed with it. When his connection to the board was mentioned, she got real serious real quick. She is aware of the board and provided the information she knows about it. She confirmed that the banker is the mayor of Denver and added a name they did not have, which is that the Muffin Man is the landowner and businessman around Little Rock, Arkansas. She also mentioned that Colson would not have gone to Montana and said her belief is that he went to Salt Lake City due to possible previous dealings with the Mormons. She offers to get the group a meeting with the mayor, noting that if he wants Colson dead, the group might be able to get in with him and be able to chase down Colson. Plus, if they can get close to the mayor, if they're so inclined, they could probably kill him. So, while they awaited word from Teresa about getting them close, we worked out a scenario by which the group decided to basically storm the castle and kill the mayor. Refer to last week's episode if you're curious. Once they got word from Teresa, how they handled things depended on what they really wanted to do. If they wanted to kill the mayor, they got the address of a dinner party he was attending, and they had the opportunity to hit him there. If they wanted to make a deal with him to go after Coulson, they got a meeting with one of the mayor's men, who ultimately arranged for the mayor to send the group a letter giving his blessing to take out Coulson, and he noted if they succeed, they might have more jobs from the mayor. And that's where we left off last time out. As we pick up this week, I do need to note that for the first time in quite some time, I'm going to reference a supplement for Deadlands Classic. It's called City of Gloom, and it's Salt Lake City in Deadlands. Much like all the other Deadlands classic materials, City O'Gloom is no longer in print, so to get a copy of it, you'll either need to find a used game store or head over to the Pinnacle Entertainment website at peginc.com and purchase the PDF. Now, if you can't get the book or you don't want to, that's okay. You can lay Salt Lake City out however you want to. In fact, that's exactly what I did with the City of Denver, and I think it worked out just fine. However, since there's published material out there for Salt Lake City, or the City of Gloom as they call it in the book, I figured I should use it, especially since I own the copy. And it provides us with material pinnacle created that we can weave into our game. First things first, let's back up to where we left off last week. 
With three possibilities for the next adventure, our players are still in the city of Denver. Now, one way or the other, they've got a target in Salt Lake City and Francis Colson. They might be working on behalf of the board, or they might be working on their own. They've also got the option to head to Little Rock, Arkansas to go after the Muffin Man. Or to Albuquerque, you know. Let's be honest, though. If your group is anything like my group, they're like a dog on a beef bone, man. They're not going to give up until they've stripped the darn thing clean. So, the options for getting to the City of Gloom vary depending on how the group handled things in Denver. If they handled things in a semi-clean manner, which would mean they got their job done without getting arrested, because if you'll remember, the worst-case scenario for killing the mayor gave them about an hour to get out of town, they've got the option to catch a train on the Denver Pacific Railroad directly to the city. However, if they got arrested, or if they didn't hurry up and get out of town before things get hairy, getting a train is going to be off the table, because every law enforcement officer and bounty hunter bad guy in Denver will be looking for them. So at that point, they're going to have to ride hellbent for leather to get out of town. If they have to get there on horseback, they're looking at about 600 miles of riding. But it's not 600 flat miles. And remember, the first hundred or so are going to be riding down out of the mountains. Then it'll be flatlands to the city of gloom. Train trip's going to take about two days, roughly. If the group takes the train, we can skip forward to their appearance in the city of gloom. So if that's the way your group is going to do it, disregard what comes next and skip ahead to my introductory flavor about the city itself. All right, if they're riding, let's continue on. First off, at about 35 miles per day of riding, which takes into account several stops for some rest and water, it'll take the group 17 days to get to the city. And that's not taking into account any encounters they run into along the way. And you know me, we're going to have some encounters. That being said, if you don't want to run your group through all the stuff I'm about to lay out, Go ahead and skip ahead to the flavor text about the City of Gloom. You're not going to offend me. Hell, when it comes to my game night, I might just do it myself. However, if you do that, your group will miss out on the opportunity to pick up some fate chips, among some other things. Anyway, I wouldn't have any encounters coming out of the mountains. You can give the feeling that they're being chased more for the purpose of tension than anything else. A good way to build that tension is to roll dice behind your DM screen or behind something that will shield your dice from your players if you don't use a screen. And then just jot some words down on a notepad. Again, make sure your players can't see it. It can be whatever you want and then just move on. Trust me, if you're looking to amp up the tension a bit, that is going to do it. Okay, once they get out of the mountains, they're going to be heading almost due east to Salt Lake City. In fact, they're going to be close enough they'll be able to see the train run along from time to time. It's not like it's going to be that close, but they will see it in the distance. The encounters begin once they get out of the mountains themselves. Now, before we get into those encounters, we do need a bigger backstory. If you've got the PDF of City of Gloom, you can read all about it yourself. For those who don't have it or don't have it yet, let me do a summary of the situation here. In the world of Deadlands, the area that we know in the real world as the state of Utah is known as the state of Deseret. In the game timeline, Brigham Young decided, as the Civil War raged on, that Deseret would stay out of the war fray. Yes, he decided to name it Deseret and decided that it would be basically its own independent nation until the war had been concluded. Since, technically, the war hasn't been concluded, Deseret is still acting as its own autonomous entity. And Brigham Young is doing his darndest to keep it that way. Shane Lacey Hensley did a really good job of weaving actual history into the Weird West setting. So as you read through that text, Deseret is fully formed with an extremely interesting history. I should also note that Smith & Robards is based in Salt Lake City, so you might want to purchase the Smith & Robards PDF from Pinnacle while you're at it. I already own it, so I'll be pulling it out for this section for my group, 
but I'm not going to get too much into it during this part of scenario building. Having that book would be to your advantage as it details all the cool stuff Smith & Robards makes that your group might want to buy. Plus, with the factory here in town, they can purchase pretty much anything in the catalog without having to place an order and wait for shipping, in theory. Okay, so I've summarized some basics for you. Let's move on with the scenario building. Within a couple of miles of the group entering the state of Deseret, the group encounters a group of men equal to their own size. These men ride and act like they own the space they're in, which is technically true. These men, and they're all white men, are members of the Nauvoo Legion, which is Deseret's de facto army. The City of Gloom book has a template for the Legionnaires on page 87, so use that. Insofar as names, I'll leave that for you. Make one of them the obvious leader, and he'll be the one addressing the group. Oh, if you are not using City of Gloom, uh, use the Gunslinger template that's available in the Player's Handbook. They're going to want to know why the group is coming into Deseret. Let's note that the Mormons of this setting are very distrusting of non-Mormons, so the group will have to tread lightly unless they just happen to have a member of the Mormons in their group, which I'm going to seriously doubt they do. So how they answer this question will go a very long way to determining how this encounter will go. Obviously, they're going to have to tread carefully around the Colson situation. Now, I'm going to leave some of this to you, but the correct answer, roughly, is that they're tracking down someone who is dangerous to the Mormon church, someone who kills indiscriminately and who cannot be trusted. Now, to get this line of BS over, they're going to have to make some rolls. Overall, tail-telling and bluff will work. Make the target number a 9. If they get a single success, they will get by, but barely. More than one success, and they will impress the Legionnaires enough that they will warn them about Skull Canyon and the Overlook Hotel. I'll explain those in a little bit. They'll also advise them to get closer to the rail line as it will lead them directly into Salt Lake City without too many more disruptions. If they fail, the Legionnaires will attempt to arrest them. The charges are entering Deseret illegally for illicit business. Doesn't matter that the charges are bull. Remember, the laws of the U.S. and the C.S. do not apply. Ergo, whatever kind of charges you think a theocracy would put into place, use them. And if you happen to be familiar with the tenets of the Church of Latter-day Saints, utilize their writings as you see fit. For the record, I am not vilifying the Mormons, nor am I trying to make fun of them or portray them in a negative light. Just so we're clear, it's a game. Roll with it. If they get past the Legion, give each player a white chip. Unless they just happen to head due north and basically run parallel to the train tracks, they'll have to pass Skull Canyon and the Overlook Hotel before they get to Salt Lake City. So let's discuss Skull Canyon. The warning the Legionnaires will give the group is that Skull Canyon is haunted. Basically, they believe something isn't quite right there, and they would encourage them to not head that way. But if your group is just nuts enough to try it, let me lay this out for you. Skull Canyon is where salt rattlers, which are definitely nasty monsters, live. They make their way out to look for food, which is typically human, and drag it back to the lair. It should also be noted that the King Rattler lives there as well, and he's definitely a big nasty. There's also another surprise there, but I think I'll leave that for you to read about the City of Gloom book on page 113. For whatever reason, I can't find stats for the Salt Rattlers. Maybe I missed it, maybe it's errata for the book. Either way, if you're using the Rattler, substitute the Mojave Rattler stats from the Marshall's Handbook. It'll work well enough for our purposes. For the King, increase all the stats by a die type and a die number. If they get into this encounter and survive, give each player a red chip. I say red chip because this is some pretty serious stuff. Now let's do a quick breakdown of the Overlook Hotel. The Overlook Hotel is populated by a very demented family known as the Waitleys. 
The family is a combination of supernatural, Hoosier, not in the good Indiana way, and absolute dementedness. Is dementedness a word? Yeah, well, I just used it, so it is now. Stats are provided on page 118 of the City of Gloom book, and small bios on each family member are there as well. Needless to say, if they run into the Overlook, they're going to have a heck of a time getting out, and some form of combat will probably take place. Think a supernatural version of deliverance, and there are women involved. There you have it. And each player would get a red chip for managing to get themselves out of this. If the Legionnaires give a warning, it will be to avoid the outlook at all costs, which is why they encourage the group to cut due north to the railroad tracks. Not only do they avoid the Overlook, but they dodge Skull Canyon as well. However, if they chose not to, just let those proverbial chips fall where they may. Once they get clear of that, they'll be entering Salt Lake City from the south. Now, let's pull the entire story together so we bring the group in if they rode in by train. There's obviously going to be a difference in where the group comes in, depending, but that's not really a big deal. What the group observes is the same. Salt Lake City really seems to be a city of two parts. The haves, which are nice houses with well-kept streets and not nearly as smoky skies. And the have-nots, where everything's crowded together, there's black smokes choking the skies, and crime and poverty are rampant. For the record, the section of have-nots is called the junkyard, which should tell you what the well-off Mormons think of everyone else. There are a number of hotels in the area that aren't the junkyard. However, their rates are $4 a night with no meals or extras included. So unless your group just happens to be loaded, they're going to want to find lodging in the junkyard. Also, and I probably should have led with this, the group will want to make it a point to not be openly displaying weapons until or unless they're in the junkyard. And even then, they're not going to want to be carrying rifles or shotguns. After all, you can cover handguns with coats so you can still be somewhat concealed. If they don't pay attention to this, have a deputy sheriff stop them and politely remind them. And yes, Salt Lake City has a sheriff instead of a town marshal or a chief of police. Ergo, his assistants would be deputy sheriffs instead of deputy marshals or officers. There's one more thing to take into account. While the junkyard is so clouded with black soot, it's dark most of the time, the soot covers the entire town. In fact, they will notice people wearing soot masks while they're out and about. A soot mask would look a lot like the masks we've been wearing throughout the current pandemic. And I'm not trying to start anything here. Even if you didn't or don't wear one, you know what they look like. I just mentioned them to give you an idea of what they look like. For every 30 days the group is in town, they have to make a vigor check. If they've worn soot masks the majority of the time, it's a target of three. If not, it's a target of five. So, we need to make note of exactly how many days they're here and check in to make sure they either are or are not wearing soot masks. Anyway, if the group chooses to head off to the junkyard to get accommodations, the Salt Lake City Grand would be the one they'd be most suited for. The per rate night there is $3 a night, which is still higher than normal, but at least it's cheaper than hotels in the wealthier part of town. In last week's campaign build-along, I mentioned that if they're working for O'Toole, they need to check into the Golden Dragon Inn and leave a message for Abe at the front desk. So even though the Golden Dragon Inn doesn't exist in the City of Gloom, we'll put it in the junkyard as well, and its rates are also $3 a night. So, since we've got two possible ways this could be going, we'll start with one, then fill in details for the other way. The first way, which I just mentioned, is that the group is working for O'Toole. In that case, they've got a line on more information. The other way is that they either got the information from O'Toole's office without actually speaking to O'Toole, or they got run out of Denver without getting any information. The only difference between these two is that if they got information from the office, they at least know the board has someone in Salt Lake City gathering information, and they're looking for the banker's man to come collect. 
we're going to start from the position that the group is working for O'Toole. My reasoning for that is that I just have a feeling my group is going to go that way, and I'll bet yours will too. Don't worry, we'll flesh out the other option too. We'll, we'll get to that after we finish this first part. Once they've checked into the Golden Dragon and left their room number, they have the option to head out and look for things to do. Much as in any other town they'd be in, they can go out and find a tavern or a dining spot or a gambling establishment or whatever. However, since the smog covering the junkyard means it's basically dark all the time, the group needs to be on their toes. I'd have them make scrutinized checks with the target number of 8. If they succeed, nothing happens. However, if anyone fails, a number of alley cats, which are detailed on page 109 of the City of Gloom Adventure, equal to the number of players, will attack. If you're not using City of Gloom, substitute in a number of gunslingers equal to one less than the total number of people in the group. Alley cats just attack the group. No negotiating. If it's gunslingers, they attempt to intimidate and rob the group first, then attack if they fail. Run the encounter, then give each player a white chip for surviving. They can also go to the Smith and Robard showroom to order items if they want to and you allow it. Run that however you want and you can choose what they can get. After they head to bed for the night, they wake up to find a message slid under their door. It reads, Colson staying at the Salt Lake City Hotel, guarded by a half a dozen heavy hitters, maybe Mormons, I cannot confirm, never leaves the hotel. A. So with that information in hand, now they've got a target. But we'll continue with that in a minute. If this is the direction your group has taken, skip ahead to the part where we start scoping out the hotel. For the other option, the group knows, or assumes at least, that Francis Colson is in Salt Lake City. What they don't know is where he is or who might have information on him. So they'll have to get checked into a hotel, then begin working their charm. If you're using City of Gloom, this is where you get to work on your own. Figure out how many places detailed in that book the players could conceivably visit to try to get information and use the usual roles to see if they can gather anything. I'd set target numbers no lower than 6, but no higher than around 10, unless your group just has somebody with mad skills in one of the skills they like to use, then set the number higher to make it a challenge. For me, my group will have to spend about a week trying to find information. They'll run into various townspeople and shopkeepers. They'll also draw the attention of the Danites. Again, if you're using City of Gloom, you'll know they're basically the royal guard of the Mormon church, which takes care of the issues that the church needs taken care of. If you are not using City of Gloom, let's go with our favorite standby of gunslingers. In this case, these will be hired hands from the Mormon church assigned to deal with things that they want dealt with but don't want to get their hands dirty doing. Again, using number equal to the number of players in the party. The players can try to negotiate, but the only thing the people coming after them want is for them to leave Salt Lake City and drop the Colson topic. So this is going to probably result in a fight. Once your group survives, give them each a white chip. After a week of digging up information, they'll finally figure out, by putting everything together, that Colson is staying at the Salt Lake City Hotel and is being guarded by men hired by the church to protect him. With that, they're going to need to scope things out a bit. And you might be thinking I've shorted you a bit on this particular part of the campaign design. The short answer is that I have, but it needs some explanation. Since I don't know for sure if you're using the City of Gloom book or not, I don't want to put too much stuff specific to that book into this design. By leaving things vague, this gives you the chance to include the kinds of things you would like to have your characters experience. So, if you want them to have some of the interactions as described in that book, please do so. If you want to keep things vanilla because you want the group to move along to the next part, then do that as well. So yeah, I did leave things deliberately vague, but I did it to encourage you to color your campaign to your style. 
Okay, since we've discussed that, let's get into scoping out the Salt Lake City Hotel. It is located in the nicer part of town, and in this case, nicer is anything not inside the junkyard. The hotel itself is three stories tall, and it doesn't seem to be very full. They can figure this out by checking it out for a day or so. They don't see very many people checking in, and those they see checking out are visibly disturbed. Should they decide to go inside the hotel for a little recon work, they'll immediately notice a couple of individuals dressed in all black and wearing masks. They can attempt to question the desk staff at the hotel, but regardless of what they do, they'll get no answers. And if they push their luck too far, the black-clad individuals will take notice. Also, they are not here to negotiate. They are just here to attack. If you're going with day nights, these are those. If you're using gunslingers, these are those. If a fight starts, another four bad guys will join the fight. They'll come from upstairs. If the group succeeds, they can either head upstairs and continue the fight or head outside to lick their wounds. And they get a white chip. Now, let's say the group asks a question, gets no answer, and realizes something's not quite right. If they're smart enough to leave, they can head away from the hotel and put together a game plan. And look, I'm not going to try to game plan every possible scenario here. By now, you know how we're going to do this. I'll lay out what's up there and you work it out with your group according to their plan. The first floor of the hotel has the desk, a small sitting area, and four rooms. Each of the other two levels has ten rooms on them. Also, each room has a window. The assumption is that Colson is being held on the third floor. Now, as I was thinking this out, there were ten men guarding Colson. The two on the first floor, four on the second floor, and four on the third floor. If the group took on and took out six, that just leaves four. And if they press the advantage in the initial scenario that I laid out, or if they return within an hour of the attack, there will be only four on the third floor. If they didn't come back within an hour, it resets to ten. If they didn't have that initial encounter, they'll either have to figure out how to climb to the third floor from the outside or fight their way up. Just like we laid out originally, once they take out the two on the first floor, the four from the second floor come in. Once they get on the third floor, there are two men guarding a room door. When they engage them, shotgun blasts start coming through the door in the walls. Getting to the room, there are two men in there with Colson, and one of them is pointing a gun at Colson's head. The basic scenario here is that the two men tell the group that if they don't retreat, they'll kill Colson. Is it a bluff? Yes. They'll threaten and threaten and threaten and threaten, but will ultimately turn their guns on the group to try to stop them. Once that is done, they've got Francis Colson all to themselves. And we'll address that next week. Yes, I know I left this on a cliffhanger. Also, I know we still have to address Albuquerque and Little Rock. I've pretty much got those worked out, but I'm not sure where I'm going to put them just yet. Pretty sure one of them will be in next week's show, but we may need to use a special episode to get the other one out. I will let you know next week what I've decided and where we're going to go with that. Okay, so next week we'll pick up where we left off and we'll finally get a campaign recap since my group will be playing Manana. Hey, if you didn't catch it on Wednesday, I certainly encourage you to head back into the archives and check out the special episode of this show that I did about adventures in ADHD. It's an adventure for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition that I really believe in and I think should be a part of your game shelf. And due to the response we got from Wednesday's episode, the folks at Awfully Queer Heroes have decided they'd like you to be able to get a PDF version of the game for one third off. They got a deal for one week only. You need a special link to use, so if you're interested, hit me up on the socials and I will share that link with you. Also, since we're talking about podcasts to check out, please check out this week's episode of Role Playing History. 
I did have to call an audible this week, and in that episode, I lay out the process for creating episodes of both of my podcasts. If you learn nothing else from them, you'll learn why I am called the Bad GM. Just saying. Alrighty then, I do need to point out that all of the Deadlands classic materials I reference on this podcast are the trademark, copyrighted products of Pinnacle Entertainment Group, and they are used here for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in purchasing physical copies, check out their website at peginc.com. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for royalty-free, license-free music for your next project. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bad GM Productions, Twitter at Bad GMP, YouTube Bad GM Productions, and you can email us at badgmproductions at gmail.com. Next week, we figure out what the group will be doing with Francis Colson and the aftermath of their decision. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the gaming table.